Essentially, it just allows you to make instrumentals, if you will. Uh, beautiful part about it is the hook you hear at the beginning of this podcast was made by such a machine. Pretty decent. I advise everyone to at least check it out. If you know somebody who has one, ask them to let you borrow it for a little while. Play around. If you don't and you're into making music but not into paying producers to make beats or you, you know someone's not able to capture the sound you want just it's an investment um, I also released a new song uh, it drops today meaning that I will drop this podcast today April 17th currently uh, I'm on California time it's 1258 um, I want to finish up part one of the age of reason um there's really only three chapters left very short chapters i very well could have squeezed those into the last show but it gives me something to do or at least a point of reference to start as you may hear there's some inhaling and some exhaling that is oh my prerogative Chapter 14, System of the Universe. That part of the universe that is called the solar system, meaning the system of worlds to which our earth belongs, and of which soul, or in English language, the sun, is the center, consists, besides the sun, of six distinct orbs, or planets, or worlds, besides the secondary bodies, called the satellites or moons, of which our Earth has one that attends her an annual revolution round the sun. In like manner as the other satellites or moons, attend the planets or worlds to which they severally belong to, as may be seen by the assistance of a telescope. The sun is the center round which those six worlds or planets revolve at different distances therefrom, 
and in circles concentric to each other. Each whirl keeps constantly in nearly the same track around the sun and continues at the same time turning round itself in nearly an upright position as a top turns round itself when it is spinning on the ground and leans a little sideways. It is this leaning of the earth, 23 and a third degrees, that occasions summer and winter and the different lengths of days and nights. If the earth turned round itself in a position perpendicular to the plane or level of the circle it moves in round the sun, as the top turns round when it stands erect on the ground, the days and nights would be of always of the same length, 12 hours day and 12 hours night, and the season would be uniformly the same throughout the year. Every time that a planet, our earth for example, turns round itself, it makes what we call day and night. And every time it goes entirely round the sun, it makes what we call a year. Consequently, our world turns 365 times round itself in going once round the sun. Every time that, oh, excuse me, the name that the ancients gave to those six worlds and which are still called by the same names are Mercury, Venus, this world that we call ours, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. They appear larger to the eye than the stars, being many million miles nearer to our Earth than any of the stars are. The planet Venus is that which is called the evening star, and sometimes the morning star, as she happens to set after or rise before the sun, which in either case is never more than three hours. The sun as before said being the center, the planet or world nearest the sun is Mercury. His distance from the sun is 34 million miles and he moves around in a circle always at that distance from the sun, as a top may be supposed to spin around in the track in which a horse goes in a mill. The second world is Venus. She is 57 million miles distant from the sun and consequently 7 million miles, excuse me, uh, and consequently moves around in a circle much greater than that of Mercury. The third world is that which we inhabit and which is 88 billion miles distant from the sun and consequently moves around in a circle greater than that of Venus. The fourth, fourth world is Mars. He is distant from the sun 134 million miles and consequently moves around in a circle greater than that of our Earth. The fifth is Jupiter. He is distant from the sun 557 million miles and consequently moves around in a circle greater than that of Mars. The sixth world is Saturn. He is distant from the sun, 763 million miles, and consequently moves around in a circle that surrounds the circles or orbits of all the other worlds or planets. The space, therefore, in the air, or the immensity of space, that our solar system takes up for the several worlds to perform their revolutions in round the sun, is of the extent in a straight line of the whole diameter of the orbit or circle in which Saturn moves around the sun, which being double his distance from the sun, is 1526 million miles, and its circular extent is nearly 5000 million, and its global uh, glo global content is almost 3500 million times 3,500 million square miles. But this, immense as it is, 
is only one system of worlds. Beyond this, at a vast distance into space, far beyond all power or calculation, are the stars called the fixed stars. They are fixed because they have no revolutionary motion, as the six worlds or planets have that I have been describing. Those fixed stars continue always at the same pace, distance, oh, excuse me, always in the same place as the sun does in the center of our system. The probability, therefore, is that each of these fixed stars is also a sun, round which another system of worlds or planets, though too remote for us to discover, performs its revolutions as our systems of worlds does round our central sun. By this easy progression of ideas, the immensity of space will appear to us to be filled with systems of worlds, and that no part of space lies at waste, any more than any part of our globe of earth and water is left unoccupied. Having thus endeavored to convey, in a familiar and easy manner, some idea of the structure of the universe, I return to explain what I before alluded to, namely, the great benefits arising to man in consequence of the Creator, having made a plurality of worlds, such as our system is, consisting of a central sun and six worlds, besides satellites, in preference to that of creating one, excuse me, in preference to that of creating one world only of a vast extent. Chapter 15 Advantages of the existence of many worlds in each solar system It is an idea I have never lost sight of, that all our knowledge of science is derived from the revolutions exhibited to our eye and from thence to our understanding which those several planets or worlds of which our system is composed make in their circuit round the sun. Had then the quantity of matter which these six worlds contain had been blended into one solitary globe, the consequence to us would have been that either no revolutionary motion would have existed, or not a sufficiency of it to give us the idea and the knowledge of science we now have. And it is from the sciences that all the mechanical arts that contribute to, excuse me, contribute so much to our earthly felicity and comfort are derived. As therefore the Creator made nothing in vain, so also must it, believe, must it be believed that He organized the structure of the universe in the most advantageous manner for the benefit of man. And as we see, and from experience feel, the benefits we derive from the structures of the universe universe formed as it is which benefits we should not have had the opportunity of enjoying if the structure so far as relates to our system had been a solitary globe we can discover at least one reason why a plurality of worlds has been made and that reason calls forth the devotional gratitude of man as well as his admiration but it is not to us the inhabitants of this globe only that the benefits arising from a plurality of worlds are limited the inhabitants of each of the worlds of which our system is composed enjoy the same opportunities of knowledge that we do. They behold the revolutionary motions of our earth as we behold ours. Excuse me, they behold the revolutionary motions of our earth as we behold theirs. All the planets revolve inside of each other and, therefore, the same universal school of science presents itself to all. Neither does the knowledge stop here. The system of worlds next to us exhibits, in its revolutions, the same principles and school of science to the inhabitants of their system as our system does to us, and in like manner throughout the immensity of space. 
our ideas not only of the almightiness of the creator, but of his wisdom and his beneficence, beneficence, excuse me, become enlarged in proportion as we contemplate the extent and the structure of the universe. The solitary idea of a solitary world, rolling or at rest in the immense ocean of space, gives place to the cheerful idea of a society of worlds so happily contrived as to administer, even by their motion, instruction to man. We see our own earth filled with abundance, but we forget to consider how much of that abundance is owing to the scientific knowledge the vast machinery of the universe has unfolded. Chapter 16 Application of the Proceeding to the System of the Christians But, in the midst of those reflections, what are we to think of the Christian system of faith that forms itself upon the idea of only one world and that of no greater extent, as is before shown, than 25,000 miles, an extent which a man, walking at the rate of 3 miles an hour for 12 hours in a day, could he keep on in a circular direction, would walk entirely round in less than two years. Alas, what is this to the mighty ocean of space and the almighty power of the Creator? From whence then could arise the solitary and strange conceit that the Almighty, who had millions of worlds equally dependent on his protection, should quit the care of all the rest, and come to die in our world, because, they say, one man and one woman had eaten an apple? And, on the other hand, are we, supposed, are we to suppose that every world in the boundless creation had an Eve, an apple, a serpent, and a redeemer? In this case... The person who is irreverently called the Son of God, and sometimes God himself, would have nothing else to do than to travel from world to world in an endless succession of death, with scarcely a momentary interval of life. It has been by rejecting the evidence that the word or works of God in the creation affords to our senses and the action of our reason upon that evidence, so that so many wild and whimsical systems of faith and of religion have been fabricated and set up. There may be many systems of religion that so far from being morally bad are in many respects morally good, but there can be but one that is true, and that one necessarily must, as it ever will, be in all things consistent with the ever-existing word of God that we behold in his works. But such is the strange construction of the Christian system of faith, that every evidence the heavens affords to man either directly contradicts it or renders it absurd. It is possible to believe, and I always feel pressure in encouraging myself to believe it, that there have been excuse me, that there have been men in the world who persuaded themselves that what is called a pious fraud might, at least under particular circumstances, be productive of some good. But the fraud being once established cannot afterwards be explained, for it is with the pious fraud as with the bad action it begets a calamitous necessity of going on. The persons who first preached the Christian system of faith, and in some measure combined it with the morality preached by Jesus Christ, might persuade themselves that it was better than the heathen mythology that then prevailed. From the first preachers, the fraud went on to the second, and to the third, till the idea of its being a pious fraud became lost in the belief of its being true, and their belief became again encouraged by the interest of those who made a livelihood by preaching it. But though such a belief might, by such means, be rendered almost general among the laity, it is next to impossible to account for the continual percussion carried on by the church, 
for several hundred years against the sciences and against the professors of science if the church had not some record or tradition that it was originally no other than a pious fraud or did not foresee that it could not be maintained against the evidence that the structure of the universe afforded. <clears throat> Chapter 17 Of the means employed in all time and almost universally to deceive the peoples. Having thus shown the irreconcilable inconsistencies between the real word of God existing in the universe and that which is called the word of God, as shown to us in a printed book that any man might make, I proceed to speak of the three principles means that have been employed in all ages and perhaps in all countries to impose upon mankind. Those three means are mystery, miracle, and prophecy. The first two are incompatible with true religion and the third ought always to be suspected. With respect to mystery, everything we hold, everything we behold is, in one sense, a mystery to us. Our own existence is a mystery. The whole vegetable world is a mystery. We cannot account how it is that an acorn, when put in the ground, is made to develop itself into, uh, and become an oak. We, not, we know not how it is that the seed we sow unfolds and multiplies itself and returns to us such an abundant interest for smaller capital. The fact, however, as distinct from the operating cause, is not a mystery, because we see it. And we, excuse me, yikes. And we know also the means we are to use, which is no other than putting the seed in the ground. We know, therefore, as much as, necess as is necessary for us to know, and that part of the operation that we do not know, in which we, if we did, we could not perform, the Creator takes upon Himself and performs it for us. We are, therefore, better off than if we had been let into the secret and left to do it ourselves. But though every created thing is, in this sense, a mystery, the word mystery cannot be applied to moral truth, any more than obscurity can it be applied to light. The God in whom we believe is a God of moral truth and not a God of mystery or obscurity. Mystery is the antagonist of truth. It is a fog of human invention that obscures truth and represents it in distortion. Truth never envelops itself in mystery, and the mystery in which it is at any time enveloped is the work of its antagonist and never of itself. Religion, therefore, being the belief of a god and the practice of moral truth, cannot have connection with mystery. The belief of a God, so far from having anything of mystery in it, is of all beliefs the most easy, because it arises to us, as is before observed, out of necessity. And the practice of moral truth, or, in other words, a practical imitation of the moral goodness of God, is no other than our acting towards each other as he acts benignly towards all. We cannot serve God in the manner we serve those who cannot do without such service. And therefore, the only idea we can have of serving God is that of contributing to the happiness of the living creation that God has made. This cannot be done by retiring ourselves from the society of the world and spending a recluse life in selfish devotion. The very nature and design of religion, if I may so express it, prove even to demonstration that it must be free from everything of a mystery and encumbered and unencumbered with everything that is mysterious. Religion considered as a duty, is an incumbent, 
or excuse me, is incumbent upon every living soul alike, and therefore must be on a level to the understanding and comprehension of all. Man does not learn religion as he learns the secrets and mysteries of a trade. He learns the theory of a religion by reflection. It arises out of the action of his own mind upon the things which he sees, or upon which he may happen to hear or to read, and the practice joins itself thereto. When men, whether from policy or pious fraud, set up systems of religion incompatible with the word or works of God and the creation, and not only above but repugnant to human comprehension, they were, un they were under the necessity of inventing or adopting a word that should serve as a bar to all questions, inquiries, and speculations. The word mystery answered this purpose, and thus it has happened that religion, which is in itself without mystery, has been corrupted into a fog of mysteries. As mystery answered all general purposes, miracle followed as an occasional auxiliary. The former served to bewilder the mind, the latter to puzzle the senses. The one was the lingo, the other was the legere de main. I'm assuming that's French. But before we go, but before going further into this subject, it will be proper to inquire what is to be understood by a miracle, in the same sense that everything may be said to be a mystery, so also may it be said that everything is a miracle, and that no one thing is a greater miracle than another. The elephant, though larger, is not a greater miracle than a mite, nor a mountain a greater miracle than an atom. To an almighty power it is no more difficult to make the one than the other, and no more difficult to make millions of worlds than to make one. Everything, therefore, is a miracle in one sense, whilst in the other sense there is no such thing as a miracle. It is a miracle when compared to our power and to our comprehension. It is not a miracle compared to the power that performs it. But as nothing in this description conveys the idea that is affixed to the word miracle, it is necessary to carry the inquiry further. Mankind have conceived themselves certain laws by which they call nature is supposed to, by which what they call nature is supposed to act, and that a miracle is something contrary to the operation and effect of those laws. But unless we know the whole extent of those laws and of what are commonly called the powers of nature, we are not able to judge whether anything that may appear to us wonderful or miraculous be within or be beyond or be contrary to her natural power of acting. The ascension of a man several miles high into the air would have everything in it that constitutes the idea of a miracle if it were not known that a species of air can be generated several times lighter than the common atmospheric air and yet possess elasticity enough to prevent the balloon in which that light air is enclosed from being compressed into as many times less bulk by the common air that surrounds it. In like manner, extracting flashes or sparks of fire from the human body as visibly as from a steel struck with a flint and causing iron or steel to move without any visible agent would also give the idea of a miracle if we're if we were not acquainted with the electricity and magnetism. So also would many other experiments in that natural philosophy to those who are not acquainted with the subject. The restoring persons to life who are to appearance dead, as is practiced upon drowned persons, would also be a miracle if it were not known that animation is capable of being suspended without being extinct. Besides these, there are performances by sleight of hand and by persons acting in concert that have a miraculous appearance, which, when known, are thought nothing of. 
And besides these, there are mechanical and optical deceptions. There is now an exhibition in Paris of ghosts or specters, which, though it is not imposed upon the spectators as a fact, has an astonishing appearance. As therefore we know not the extent to which either nature or art can go, there is no criterion to determine what a miracle is, and mankind, in giving credit to appearances, under the idea of being miracles, are subject to be continually opposed upon. Since then, appearances are so capable of deceiving, and things not real have a strong resemblance to things that are. Nothing can be more inconsistent Excuse me. than to suppose that the Almighty would make use of means, such as are called miracles, that would subject the person who performed them to the suspicion of being an imposter, and the person who related them to be suspected of lying, and the doctrine intended to be supported thereby to be suspected of a fabulous invention. Of all the modes of evidence that ever were invented to obtain belief to any system or opinion to which the name of religion has been given, that of miracle, however successful and however successful the imposition may have been, is the most inconsistent. For, in the first place, whenever recourse is had to show, for the purpose of procuring that belief, for a miracle, under any idea of the world, is a show, it implies a lameness or weakness in the doctrine that is preached. And, in the second place, it is degrading the Almighty into the character of a showman, playing tricks to amuse and make the people stare and wonder. It is also the most equivocal sort of evidence that can be set up, for the belief is not to depend upon the thing called a miracle, but upon the credit of the reporter, who says that he saw it, and therefore the thing, were it true, would have no better chance of being believed than if it were a lie. Suppose I were to say that when I sat down to write this book, a hand presented itself in the air, took up the pen, and wrote every word that is herein written. Would anybody believe me? Certainly they would not. Would they believe me a whit the more if the thing had been a fact? Certainly they would not. Since then a real miracle, were it to happen, would be subject to the same fate as the falsehood. The inconsistency becomes the greater of supposing the Almighty would make use of means that would not answer the purpose for which they were intended, even if they were real. If we are to suppose a miracle to be something so entirely out of the course of what is called nature, that she must go out of what, go out of that course to accomplish it, and we see an account given of such a miracle by the person who said he saw it, it raises a question in the mind very easily decided, which is, is it more probable that nature should go out of her course, or that a man should tell a lie? We have never seen, in our time, nature go out of her course but we have good reason to believe that millions of lies have been told in the same time. It is therefore at least millions to one that the reporter of a miracle tells a lie. The story of the whale swallowing Jonah, though a whale is large enough to do it, borders greatly on the marvelous, but it would have, been, but it would have approached nearer to the idea of a miracle if Jonah had swallowed him, okay, but it would have approached nearer to the idea of a miracle if Jonah had swallowed the whale. In this, which may serve for all cases of miracles, the matter would decide itself as before stated, namely, is it more probable that a man should have swallowed a whale or told a lie? But suppose that Jonah had really swallowed the whale and gone with it in his belly to Nineveh, 
and to convince the people that it was true have cast it up in their sight of the full length and sides of a will, would they not have believed him to have been the devil instead of a prophet? Or if the will had carried Jonah to Nineveh and cast him up in the same public manner, would they not have believed the will to have been the devil and Jonah, one of his imps? The most extraordinary of all things called miracles related in the New Testament is that of the devil flying away with Jesus and carrying him to the top of a high mountain and to the top of the highest pinnacle of the temple and showing him and promising to him all the kingdoms of the world. How happened it that he did not discover America? Or is it only the kingdoms that his Sudi Highness has any interest? I have too much respect for the moral character of Christ to believe that he told this whale of a miracle himself. Neither is it easy to account for what purpose it could have been fabricated, unless it were to impose upon the connoisseurs of miracles, as is sometimes practiced upon the connoisseurs of Queen Anne's farthings and collectors of relics and antiquities, or to render the belief of miracles ridiculous by outdoing miracle as Don Quixote outdid chivalry. Or to embarrass this belief, excuse me, or to embarrass the belief of miracles by making it doubtful, by with, excuse me, by making it doubtful by what power, whether of God or of the devil, anything called a miracle is performed. It requires, however, a great deal of faith in the devil to believe this miracle. In every point of view in which those things called miracles can be placed and considered, the reality of them is improbable and their existence unnecessary. They would not, as before observed, answer any useful purpose, even if they were true, for it is more difficult to obtain belief to a miracle than to a principle evidently moral without any miracle. More princi moral principles speaks universally for itself. Miracle could be but a thing of the moment and seen but by a few. After this, it requires a transfer of faith from God to man to believe a miracle upon man's report. Instead, therefore, of admitting the recitals of miracles as evidence of any system of religion being true, they ought to be considered as symptoms of its being fabulous. It is necessary to the full and upright character of truth that it rejects the crutch, and it is consistent with the character of fable to seek the aid that truth rejects. Thus, much for mystery and miracle. As mystery and miracle took charge of the past and the present, prophecy took charge of the future and rounded the tenses of faith. It was not sufficient to know what had been done, but what would be done. The supposed prophet was the supposed historian of times to come, and if he happened in shooting with a long bow of a thousand years to strike within a thousand miles of a mark, the ingenuity of posterity could make it point blank. And if he had happened to be directly wrong, it was only to suppose, as in the case of Jonah and Nineveh, that God had repented himself and changed his mind. What a fool do fabulous systems make of man. It has been shown in a former part of this work that the original meaning of the words prophet and prophesying has been changed and that a prophet, in the sense of the word, as now used, is a creature of modern invention. 
And it is owing to this change in the meaning of the words that the fight, excuse me, the flights and metaphors of the Jewish poets and phrases and expressions now rendered obscure by our not being acquainted with the local circumstances to which they applied at the time they were used have been erected into prophecies and made to bend to explanations at the will and whimsical conceits of sectaries, expounders, and commentators. Everything unintelligible was prophetical and everything insignificant was typical a blunder would have served would have served for a prophecy and a dish clout for a type if a prophet we are to suppose a man to whom the almighty communicated some event that would take place in future either there were such men or there were not if there were it is consistent to believe that the event so communicated would be told in terms that could be understood and not related in such a loose and obscure manner as to be out of the comprehension of those that heard it, and so equivocal as to fit almost any circumstance that might happen afterwards. It is conceiving very irreverently of the Almighty to suppose that he would deal in this jesting manner with mankind, yet all the things called prophecies in the book called the Bible come under this description. It is with prophecy as it is with miracle. It could not answer the purpose even if it were real. Those to whom a prophecy should be told could not tell whether the man prophesied or lied, or whether it had been revealed to him or whether he conceded it. And if the thing that he prophesied or pretended to prophesy should happen or something like it among the multitude of things that are daily happening, Nobody could again know whether he foreknew it or guessed at it, or whether it was accidental. A prophet, therefore, is a character useless and unnecessary, and the safe side of the case is to guard against being imposed upon by not giving credit to such relation. Upon the whole, mystery, miracle, and prophecy are appendages that belong to fabulous and not to true religion. They are the means by which so many lawyers and lothers and lothers, oh, looky here's and looky there's, have been spread about the world and religion been made into a trade. The success of one imposter gave encouragement to another, and the quieting salvo of doing some good by keeping up a pious fraud protected them from remorse. Recapitulation. Having now extended the subject to a greater length than I first intended, I shall bring it to a close by abstracting a summary from the whole. First, the idea or belief of a word of God existing in print or in writing or in speech is inconsistent in itself for the reasons already assigned. These reasons, among many others, are the want of a universal language, the mutability of language, the errors to which translations are subject, the possibility of total, excuse me, totally suppressing such a word, the prob excuse me, probability of altering it or of fabricating the whole and imposing it upon the world. Secondly, that the creation would we behold is the real and ever-existing word of God in which we cannot be deceived. It proclaimeth his power, it demonstrates his wisdom, it manifests his goodness and beneficence. Thirdly, that the moral duty of man consists in imitating the moral goodness and beneficence of God manifested in the creation towards all his creatures. 
that seeing as we daily do the goodness of God to all men, it is an example calling upon all men to practice the same towards each other, and, consequently, that everything of persecution and revenge between man and man, and everything of cruelty to animals, is a violation of moral duty. I trouble not myself about the manner of future existence. I content myself with believing, even to positive conviction, that the power that gave me existence is able to continue it, in any form and manner he pleases, either with or without this body. And it appears more probable to me that I shall continue to exist hereafter than that I should have had an existence, as I now have, before that existence began. It is certain that, in one point, all nations of the earth and all religions agree. All believe in a God. The things in which they disagree are the redundancies annexed to that belief. And therefore, if ever a universal religion should prevail, it will not be believing anything new, but in getting rid of redundancies and believing as man believed at first. Adam, if ever there was such a man, was created a deist. But in the meantime, let every man follow, as he has right to do, the religion and worship he prefers. That is the end of The Age of Reason, part one. Now, granted, we're only 30 minutes into this, so I like to keep this at an hour, if possible. Um, so far, I will be honest, and you can believe it or not, I started off reading this book in real time on this podcast, but due to scheduling and boredom, I decided to read a little bit more and continue reading. As it stands, I'm into part two of the Age of Reason. Um, but I wanna I wanna recap part one. So far, as my understanding even allows me to grasp, I will agree with the point or standpoint of the Bible is just a book written by man. As I mentioned before, I am an ordained minister, duly licensed in the state of New York. But as this power, as I believe, is vested to me through God, I essentially am an ordained minister and duly licensed everywhere. If I so choose to marry the birds and the bees, what I was just vanity, because I didn't control the bees, nor did I control the birds. <sighs> Essentially, I, I think I've gotten to a point where I'm slowly but surely putting these things together in real time. I guess the issue is just putting them into words. Um, 
I'm a big believer in free will. The the ability to, to make the choices as you so choose to. Um, even if that choice is ultimately not making a choice at all. Um, but it seems that over the course of my lifetime, spans a little over 30 years, um, not just my senses, but it seems like over the, I'll speak for my countryside here, um, American senses have been dulled down to um, a, a point of remediation, um, for lack of a better term. Um, after a few conversations, I found that most people have no idea who Thomas Paine is or was um, and his contribution to this country before the United States became the United States. Um, his contribution or his input on what the Constitution would be um, to try to avoid some of the pitfalls that occurred through the European kingdomship. Um, I'm not sure if Mr. Payne was aware that in 250 years um, things would get worse. Not the following blindly of religion but just the lack of attentiveness to moral compasses um it's, it seems like we reached a point where up is down and down is up um which is which is good cuz things that roll in cycles whatever was up will eventually be down and vice versa it allowed those people who may have felt like they were at the bottom, and this is in the last few years, to feel like they may have had a piece of something, you know, of the, uh, something uh, tangible, a commodity, whether it's cash, uh, materialistic things, whatever. These last few years have provided some gleaming silver lining in the dark cloud of those who are less fortunate. Contrary or to that would be the upper echelon or upper class or those in a higher position who felt the um, the struggles over the past few years um, now I do believe this cycle was a lot quicker um, than, than most of our previous cycles you know if we're talking recession if, if we're talking financial but it, over the course of the last hundred years or so cost of anything has just been increasing we have never went down we've only gone up so if that's the trend then the fact that prices are increasing shouldn't be too much of a shocker um i guess the shocker comes into the fact that um financially the income for most isn't increasing and i'm not making this a financial conversation but essentially just that uh When it comes to the haves and the have-nots, there really, truly, genuinely is no difference. Because we all have life. 
we all waking up breathing um probably not all thanking god for the breath but yet still waking up breathing um and any day that you wake up above ground i'm not sure how that'll work waking up below ground you wake up in in a casket that's kind of crazy um but any day that you're above ground is a day that you have whether it's opportunity whether it's just um life it's just you have um it's not until we get into this materialistic um ideology that has plagued this country for mm, the last 60 so years i'd say ever since color television don't ask me why i'm pinpointing certain places and time for this country but sometimes when color television came around kind of changed the household dynamic um because now you got people who would rather, you know, sit, stare, and basically enjoy um, frivolous, meaningless content. Um, but science is, is what's created that. Science is what's created the technology that we utilize today how i'm speaking to you through this microphone which is being routed through a, a laptop computer which will eventually be put through some software and downloaded and re-uploaded into some website all technology based right but where's where's the morality in it where's where's the moral compass in this technology one really wants to you know dive into the internet you'll find that it's a extremely scary place why does it exist if there's a pitfall ahead and there's someone ahead of you who knows that there's a pitfall and when you get to them they just wave at you smile and let you keep on about your business And you fall into that pitfall. Where. Where you place the blame. Was it that person's duty to tell you. In the first place. See that goes back to. Uh, an argument I had not too long ago. Regarding uh, free will and pre predestined or predetermination. You know, um, argument there would be that, well, it was God's, you know, decision and you were meant to fall into the pitfall. And it was God's decision that that person who was aware of a pitfall made no mention of such pitfall to you so that you could maybe avoid or pivot or recalculate, recalibrate, however. But then there's the argument that, you had a choice to go into that pitfall. See, yeah, there was a person who knew that there was a pitfall. But see, only you have the eyes to know where you are going. No one controls that. I don't think God controls that. He gives you the capability or the you know the, the access to such. But then 
It's like giving a, a, a monkey a hammer and a banana and trying to decide which one is, is to be used as the tool. Monkeys love bananas, so I heard. But see, but see, there's a problem in front of the monkey that needs to be fixed. If the monkey chooses to use the banana to fix the problem, the problem will not be fixed, but is it the monkey's fault? People only do what they know. And the worst part about it is most people do not know. And in adding insult to injury, though they do not know, they still do. And trial by error, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a big believer in, you know, bumping your head, you know, running into walls, figuring these things out. But I also don't complain about bumping my head and running into walls and figuring these things out. Because there's nothing to complain about. That is the process. This, this is life. There was never a roadmap given when you were born. Trust me, the doctor did not. Yeah, I repeat, the doctor did not hand you a rolled up scroll with life's basic instructions. Now, what they did do is they created this book called the Bible. And most people who are familiar with the acronym, they consider it to be basic instructions before leaving Earth. And growing up, I, I, I kind of, I believe that, you know, hence, you know, as a minister, um, because you read the stories and you, they're captivating stories, um, you know, the emotion, the, the, the turmoil, the, the rising action, the plot, it just, it's a great read. But taking a step back and looking at it subjectively, as Mr. Thomas Paine has done, well, it kind of makes one at least think, you know. If, if the books in the Bible were written by the people who wrote them, well, I believe that whoever translated these Bibles made a grave error. Because it starts to make less and less sense the more you read it. Or the more times that you've read it. Um, and if these people didn't write these books. And just some random individuals just decided, hey, you know, this is what we're going to do. Well, that's an even bigger problem. Because now we're, we've raised societies. I mean societies. We've raised civilizations off of this book. And it's kind of what's, you know, held me from from pursuing the, the continuance of reading and just because I'm, I'm familiar with how, how many people actually spend their days and lives by this book. You know, and I, the goal is not to tell you that you're wrong. I just want to ask a couple questions and if you have the answers, then great. If you don't, then don't. Don't take offense to it. Um, don't be defensive. Um, I ask you be open. But you do not have to be. You have the choice to ignore any and all of this information. It is not required for you to take a look and think past your own thoughts. Um, however, as a society, as a civilization, 
we will continue to be on a downward trend. Um, you know, they. I, I rarely watch the news, but when I do, it's it's never good news. And you would think that news would provide you both good news and bad news, hence the term good news and bad news. But it appears that only bad news, unless it's sports related. But then it's like, you know, kind of like a pacifier, because how important is sports to life? You know, Michael Jordan jumping from the free throw line did nothing for my life. Now, you can make the six degrees separation. Well, as a black man, you know, in a, in a sport that was 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 looked as less than, you know, and dominated by whites prior to such, you know, he set the precedence. Yeah, but so did Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, you know, and a host of others, you know, it's. It, it was good for what they were doing, where they were at, but it had no forbearance on where I was and what I was doing. Um, likewise, for millions of Americans across this country. Um, aside from the sports, they might, you know, throw in something political. And they'll put a good news spin to it. But the the policies, which are never being read by the mass public in its entirety, to a point of understanding, um, as this legal jargon is very, very, very... Um, it's, it's very, very closely resembling the, the beginning of the Shakespearean era where words were just being made up and then placed in such a fashion that unless one were for lack of a better term um, familiar with language oh it just sounds like poetry that's maybe that's what that is maybe 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 there was this, there was this, this, there was government and there was religion. There was always government and religion, church and state. The religions have changed over the thousands of years. The civilizations have been erected and dismantled. Um, likewise, you know, governments, kingdomship, um, royalty, um, what do they call it? Uh, manifest destiny <laughs> um so there's there's always been this where i will and i'm speaking from a historical standpoint but where it's i i want to be what god is or or as closely resembling whatever God or my idea of God is. Um, you know, when you think of president, a president is someone who, who oversees the entirety of a civilization. Likewise with a king or a queen. Um, they oversee the entirety of the civilization of all these creations. And one can make the argument, no, I don't feel superior to everyone but that's 
Is it more? Would it be more possible that nature would change her course, or that a man would tell a lie? I like that line. That's a very valid question. People in power use power. See, the only way that a man can say that he genuinely can say that he doesn't feel that sense of pride and that haughtiness is if he was given all the power in the world and then relinquished it immediately. See, now that's power. Somebody gives you the code to the little red button and then you set the code on fire and leave the room. Now no one knows the code and no one can use the button. Power. I want to wrap this up today. Um, again, I apologize for the uh, hiatus. I will be getting back to making this move uh, a whole lot more frequent. I've got a nice little setup now. Working on a studio and a little tickle in my throat as I feel myself about to cough. <clears throat> um, again, if, if anyone has a chance to, don't hesitate. Go get a copy of the book. Both part one into the age of reason by Thomas Paine. Um, I mean, we give pretty much any and everything a listen these days, you know, whether it's beneficial to our psychological um, stability or if it's detrimental. Um, for some reason or another, it continues to get the the ears and the eyes of us. So let's 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 balance it out, you know, for every. Every uh, piece of art or content that you ingest with vulgarity, profanity, um, nudity, obscenities, lascivities, um, go find something that, that stimulates the mind in a positive production, a positive productive way. It's good to be back. I'll see you guys next week. Take care. Chase life. Chase life.